Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Executive, a place where entrepreneurs, investors, and operators share their advice and life lessons on how to make it at the highest level. So excited uh, to be joined today by Caleb Avery, who is the, uh, co- is the co-founder and CEO of Tilled, which is a fintech company, and more specifically, a payfac as a service company uh, that's helping software companies monetize the payments that go through the system. Uh, Tilled recently uh, raised a Series A of $11 million, which they did did an extension of another $11 million, where they had tripled their valuation and I believe quadrupled the team size in that six months. Pretty pretty amazing. Caleb, uh, so good to have you here. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, well, let's get started with that. What's the founding story? You know, what what was the problem that you were trying to go after? How did you know, how did Tilt get started? Sure. So for, for me, you know, I had a, a background in the payment space, starting at, at 19 years old, going door to door, selling payments to, to small business owners, scaled up that first company and then started consulting for software companies. And so it was really through that consulting work that I really saw that the gap in the market and the opportunity to, to build till then I was consulting typically for vertical software companies, anywhere from a hundred million up to over a billion dollars in annual processing volume. And for most of them, they were really just starting this journey to monetize the payments going through their platform where historically they'd partnered with someone like a Stripe or a Braintree, and they were just passing along the 2.9% and 30 cents from Stripe or Braintree onto their customers. And at the time we were primarily recommending legacy gateways like NMI or authorized.net and then helping them negotiate ISO referral agreements with the, the big processors. And the, the reality was that legacy technology plus the manual PDF merchant onboarding process really wasn't the, the modern experience that, that these software companies were, were looking for. And so back in January of 2019, uh, about three and a half years ago at, at this point, decided that there there was a, a big enough problem and I felt like uh, I was going to be able to, to create uh, a solution for these software companies to help them monetize their payments, to help them get access uh, to, to this incredible uh, technology that I felt like we could we could build. And so thus, uh, Till was born. And can you talk more about like, how are you actually monetizing the payment? What does that mean for the company? How are you getting them to monetize it? Sure. So if you take a, an example of a, of a vertical uh, software platform, let's go with a, a golf course uh, management uh, you know, software. And so for, for them, the, the idea is that we're giving them a pass through of our wholesale uh, buy rates and then allowing them to set the price to the golf course. And so in the example, let's say the golf course is still paying 3% to actually process all of the, the, the transactions uh, at that, that golf course. The actual cost typically to process those transactions is somewhere between 2 to 2.2%. And so oftentimes we're seeing like 80 basis points of margin that's available uh, on these transactions. And so our typical model is to share at least two thirds of that revenue back to the to the golf course management oh, wow. platform. And so you're talking about at least half a percent uh, of margin on every dollar that's processed through your platform. And so really we're giving them this turnkey white labeled payments infrastructure that puts them in control of that experience to their customers and yet they're creating this incredible recurring revenue stream for, for their business on every dollar that's processed. So are you focused on a particular industry or industries that are, you know, high volume transactions or, you know, given that they're saving a percent, a half a percent on everything or where you guys focused? So for us, based on our, our current sponsor bank relationships, we have the ability to focus on uh, most any low risk 
uh, vertical. In terms of core areas of expertise for us, healthcare, nonprofits, gym and fitness management software, property management solutions, insurance, uh, B2B uh, segment, retail, restaurant. We've got a couple of e-commerce shopping cart platforms. So we do have a, a wide uh, variety of different platforms that have chosen uh, to partner with Tilled. But the, the common theme is that most of them are, are really low-risk uh, vertical software solutions. And the majority of our customers are somewhere between 50 million and 2 billion of annual processing volume on their platforms. I mean, pretty meaningful, especially in this environment we're in, to save, right? Like you probably have a lot of people that before were like maybe a nice to have or they just weren't focused on it because things were so good where now they're, they're trying to find save costs anywhere. Now there's an extra source of revenue for them. So it's, given this uh, environment we're in, you're probably finding a lot of success. The, the macroeconomic environment has definitely been an interesting shift for us over the, the last six months where if you look at last year, uh, venture capital dollars were, were freely flowing. They were readily available. Yeah. Uh, and so startups were, were kind of growth at all costs, acquire new customers, spend, spend, spend. Uh, fast forward to today. That's not the case. <laughs> Venture capital dollars are, are harder to come by. They're more expensive. The, the due yeah. diligence process is more difficult. And, and fundamentally, the, the bar has been raised. The, the expectations from investors to get to that Series A or get to that Series B or Series C uh, ha, has gone up quite a bit. And so where we see uh, companies of all, of all stages and, and, frankly, starting to see a lot more later stage companies coming to us that are saying, hey, we need to figure out how to better monetize our existing customer base, increase our margins, increase our average revenue, average revenue per unit, and really make a push to profitability. And when you think about the idea of, of integrating in payments, especially if you're partnering with Tilled, one, it's a relatively light lift uh, from a yeah. development you know, perspective. So you know, realistically, you, you could be up and running in under 30 days if you really prioritize uh, you know, getting this build done. And for some companies, you're seeing them double their margins. And so the idea of, hey, how is we, how can we as a business next quarter go double our margins? There's not a lot of activities that you yeah, can realistically accomplish, you know, something like that. And so I think we're, we feel fortunate to, to be doing what we're doing uh, at this point in time and, and certainly feel like, you know, we're, we're helping uh, our customers achieve their goals. You know, we're aligned with their, their core objectives. We're not coming in and trying to sell them something that they don't need. We're saying, hey, here's something you're already processing payments in your business. Yeah. Why not monetize all of these payments going through your platform if you can do it with a relatively light lift? without upfront costs, without adding headcount, without taking on liability. And so I think that the core value proposition behind Tilled has uh, has definitely been resonating uh, pretty strongly with, with customers, especially over the course of this year. Well, yeah, it's clearly resonating. You, you raised $11 million, and then you raised another $11 million um, as a Series A extension. Can you talk first about why you guys did an extension and, and what that really means versus going and raising a Series B? Sure. Um, I think generally the, the kind of naming nomenclature behind a, a pre-seed, a seed, a series A, series B doesn't really mean the same uh, thing uh, that, that it used to, you know, five, 10 years ago where there was this prescribed yeah. path that, that companies followed on their, on their capital raising journey. So that's, that's thing one. Uh, thing two, I think for, for us, um, there, there were a couple of things that, that factored into the decision. One from a, a round size uh, perspective, 
we weren't trying to go out and raise this 30, $40 million, you know, large round of funding. Like you said, we had just raised capital. We had all of that money still sitting <laughs> on our balance right, sheet. It's all in the so, bank. Yeah. yeah, it was our, it was all already in the, in the bank. And so for us, you know, we didn't have this need for this monster uh, round of, of funding. And so for a lot of uh, investors, when they're looking at a series B, they're wanting to come in and uh, anchor that round. They've got an expectation of, Hey, we want 10, 15%. Uh, ownership position, and that just wasn't something that that we were, uh, you know, looking to to give up at at that point uh, in time, and then structurally uh, decided to to structure the round as a as a convertible node. So I think for kind of all of all of those factors, uh, the, the kind of nomenclature of of not considering it a B round uh, made the the most sense. Okay, so the extension is a convertible node, which will convert then at the Series B. In in our case, yes. Yeah. Okay, but it doesn't have to be. Doesn't um, have to be. The more important thing to focus on is, you know, during that six months in between, you quadrupled the team. You must have three x revenue, if probably more. How how did you do that? What, what what did you guys do to see that kind of growth in just six months? So I think one of the the things that that we found in the in the early days is that we had spent a pretty significant amount of time thinking about the the messaging, the the positioning, and how we were going to niche down. Uh, in, in our particular sector and then looking at how that would influence our go-to-market uh, strategy. And so for, for us, we had built up a, a wealth of, of content and we're, we're really from day one ready to put the, the pedal down uh, you know, on the, the accelerator, on the, the go-to-market strategy. And so we, we came out of the gate hot. Uh, yeah, and so were we prepared. were able to sign up. Yeah, and, and I think we had spent a long time getting prepared. It wasn't like, you know, all of a sudden yeah. we're like, oh, it's time to go to market. Let's just, you know, figure this thing out. It's like, no, we'd been preparing for well over a year for what that go to market motion, uh, you know, was going to, to look like. And so even prior to our, our product launch, we already had a pretty significant pipeline of customers. And, you know, when I, when I think about that, that decision, uh, a lot of founders, uh, think, oh, well, we have to wait until the product is perfect before we get out there in the market and start having conversations with, with customers. And I, I think that's a terrible approach um, in almost every case. Uh, and so for, for us, one, we were able to get a ton of feedback from customers uh, on the product as we were building it. And so we didn't have to wait for this big release to get feedback uh, from customers. And so for us, we were actually able to make some pretty meaningful uh, changes to the product prior to, to even launching. Um, and then I think one of the other big factors in our success was LinkedIn. And so, you know, when you look at the, the type of growth uh, that, that we were able to achieve, we did it with a, a very small team. You know, we started 2021 with five people uh, when we raised the Series A uh, last May, we had 12 people. Uh, wow. We ended the year with a, a little over 40 people um, on the team, but we were able to, to create a, an outsized impact uh, in the market with a relatively small team. And I think social media and LinkedIn in particular was a big part of, of how we were able to do that um, so quickly with a pretty small budget. Yeah, and you, you guys are, you know, to your point, are very active on social media. You personally, as from a founder's perspective, you know, versus you are tilled, right? But it's not really tilled at speaking. It's it's you. And it seems like that is really working for you. What what would you say is your strategy with LinkedIn? Why and why is it working? Because it seems like that's generating revenue for tilled by you being so active. So, I mean, it's, it's generated a tremendous amount of value. I think it's, it's, it's almost impossible yeah. to understate how important it's been in the, in the growth of, of our business. You know, when I look at the, the, the results, 
uh, early days, you know, first call it nine months of, of us uh, being in market, it was almost 100% of our lead flow what was coming from in Link- from, from, from LinkedIn, LinkedIn posts, wow. uh, from LinkedIn posts. Uh, even today, uh, I think my, my personal LinkedIn is still something like 45% of the, the lead generation uh, into the business. And so from a, from a results perspective, I think that kind of speaks for itself. It, it works yeah. uh, very, very well uh, from a lead generation perspective, but it also adds value for us uh, from uh, attracting employees. So how do we get the best talent coming to Till? Mm-hmm. People are following the journey, they're, they're following the, the story, and they're excited to be a part of the, the culture and the, the mission of, of what we're building. It also helps investors to, to, to keep track of uh, you know, what we're doing and the, and the progress that we're making. In terms of the, the strategy, uh, one of the, the decisions that we made uh, very early on was a, it was a pretty heavy emphasis on content. When you think about the, the nature of what we do, it's a, it's a consultative selling approach. We're coming in because our, our partners are having a problem within their business, and they're really looking uh, for knowledge. They're looking for an expert to help come in and, and educate them about the industry, about the problems you know, that they're experiencing, and then, and then ultimately, you know, how, how can we... Uh, you know, help them. And so we spent, um, I would say about 12 months building up a content repository of, of blogs and, and articles and long form uh, content pieces prior to even starting to, to launch uh, those initiatives on, on LinkedIn. So we had this backlog of, of content and, and really for us, there's, there's this mix and it's, it's a balancing act of trying to, to be a thought leader in the space, but also be a human being. <laughs> and I, right. I think we've, we've found that, that balance in a, in a way that seems to resonate, uh, with, with people online where yes, we can put out a blog on, on PCI compliance, which might not be the most exciting topic, uh, you know, to talk about, but it's important. Uh, and then, you yeah. know, you're also seeing me on the golf course or seeing me hanging out with, with my kids because the reality is like there is life outside, uh, of Till. And I think that, um, uh, that part of the, the strategy is, is something that isn't necessarily intuitive for, for people to, to think about, but I think has been, uh, really important in terms of resonating, uh, you know, with our, our, our audience online. So when you're doing content on LinkedIn, are you kind of pre, is everything that kind of pops up every day, is that pretty pre-planned or like every day you sit down and you're like, what am I going to write today? Um, you try to do one post a day or is it more than that? Yeah, it's, that's a, that's a fair question. I think there's definitely some of our content that that's planned um, in advance. I think what uh, our, our team finds uh, for good or bad is that I can be kind of unpredictable and sometimes thoughts <laughs> come into my head and I, I, didn't, know, like I didn't know they had right? something planned, yeah. you know, for the day. I just have a, yeah. I have something that I feel like I, I need to say. And so a lot of the content really is just authentic. This is me. This is what I'm feeling at this particular moment in time. This is not, hey, we developed a content strategy that's yeah. planned three months uh, in advance, I, I feel like if we're planning a week in advance, we're, we're doing, uh, you know, pretty well on the on the strategy. Uh, in terms of the cadence, it varies quite a bit. I, I think for, yeah. for me, there's times where I have more bandwidth and I have the ability to, to yeah. post, you know, more often. And, and so um, I don't think posting every day is realistic, at least for me. I'm, I, I'm a founder. I'm a CEO. I'm a busy guy. I've got a lot yeah. going on. I've got two kids under five. Like there's a lot happening. Uh, you know, in, in my yeah. world. And so I don't put this unhealthy pressure on myself to say I, I have to post uh, every day. I also don't think you'd get great content out of me on a, on a daily basis. If I post two times a week or five times a week, I, I think both of those are, are okay. 
your quality would start going down. I mean, it's interesting to talk about in detail, right? Because if 50% of your revenue, you know, if it's you know, 49, whatever it is, is coming from LinkedIn. I mean, in social media in general, just the power of that forever founders trying to find their customers. You know, the last question you know, I'll ask on that is, you know, how do people get started, right? Because I think that's always the most intimidating thing is what do they have to offer? What should they be posting about? Like, how do you get started as a, as a founder or someone who wants to be more active? And, sure. And get a um, the, the reality is start start small. Uh, for, for me, yeah. it was commenting on other people's posts and just getting comfortable putting myself out there and, and being online. And so it doesn't have to start with, hey, I'm going to go write a thousand word blog. I don't, I don't think that for most people is a, a reasonable or realistic uh, place to, to start. I, I also think that if you can figure out what you are really passionate about talking about and writing about, it's a lot easier to develop content. Yeah. If I said, hey, you know, uh, Matt, are, do you want to go post about, you know, dairy cows? You're, you're probably like, no, Caleb, I have absolutely no interest in posting about dairy cows. You're not going to post consistently about right. that topic. But if I'm like, Matt, what's, what's your favorite thing in the world to talk about? That's what you oh, should be posting about easy. on LinkedIn. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Uh, it's definitely, I mean, besides, uh, you know, my family, because I feel like I have to say that. Um, <laughs> Just get no, that down I mean, for the record. Yeah, <laughs> just, it's in the it's recorded. Uh, we're just I'm religious on watching uh, English Premier League and watching my team Chelsea. So that'd be I could write days on end about that. So if you post no about cows, that once can, or twice I write a week, about ice cream, maybe once. If you if yeah. you post about English Premier League uh, once or twice a week, you would find that you would develop a community of people that also cared about that topic. And I, I think for me that was one of the, the things that, that I found where I would consider myself a, a payments nerd. Like that's just something yeah. that I would, you know, say about myself. And so I, I think for me, just being able to post my true thoughts on, on the industry and, and where things uh, are, are headed has resonated with people because the, the people that are in my, my community on LinkedIn, LinkedIn, most of them care about payments. They care about startups. They care about yeah. uh, FinTech. And so I think if you figure out, you know, what is your lane? What is the, what is the topic that you really care about? You will attract like-minded people, especially if you're interacting, uh, yeah. you know, with, uh, you know, your, your community online, which is, I think a pretty, uh, under of underestimated, uh, importance. If you're not engaging, you know, with other, uh, people online, why would you expect for them to come and engage, yeah. you know, on, on your posts? It's a good point. And I think it's, well said too of, you know, I think sometimes you think you have to be so broad, right. To hit everybody. But if you're more specific, you know, you'll find those people that are really interested in that. Right. And then you target that. And there's enough of those people out there because this is LinkedIn, right. This is a massive network. Um, and um, it's just amazing. Like the power of that. The other thing and before getting uh, too far on kind of where you're at today, that's interesting to talk about is you know, it's easy to, probably now there feels a little bit of relief of where you're at. You're growing fast. There's a lot more people uh, as part of the team. But in the beginning, you mentioned it was really five people for two years, right? Just absolutely grinding on this, having raised capital. What was that like in that beginning part when you're like, is this going to work? <laughs> and it's just five <laughs> of us. Yeah, I feel like that's a question that I, that I ask myself every day. Uh, but yeah. certainly is in, it gonna the, work? in the... Yeah, yeah, certainly in the in the early <laughs> days, you know, it's a it's a reasonable question where, uh, you know, I'm I'm putting in my my own money. I had uh, at the time one one little kid 
uh, at home, eventually a second little kid uh, at home. Yeah. And, you know, wife starts asking questions like, how, how is that tilled, uh, you know, thing coming, coming <laughs> along? You know, we, we got to buy diapers here. Um, right. But I, I think for, for me, I, I surrounded myself with, with some incredible people uh, in the early days that, that made it fun. I mean, the, the reality is it is an absolute grind uh, in yeah. the early days. You're, you're iterating constantly. The, the model's changing. The, the business wasn't named Tilled. Uh, when I started to to put that, uh, you know, out there, it's like there wasn't a name, there wasn't a website, there wasn't this, you know, fantastic pitch deck. It's like I have an idea, I see a problem in the market, I believe that there's an ability for for us to to go fill uh, this this gap in the market. But it's this iterative process, and the 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 more that you can surround yourself with people that enjoy that part of the journey, the more likely you are to to be successful. And one thing I know about Tilled is, you know, as you've grown, you have an amazing retention rate. So I think you probably would credit that to culture in some fashion. Culture means a lot of things. How have you retained people so well at, at Tilled over you know, the last two, three, uh, yeah, three years? Uh, yeah, it's been three, three and a half years. Culture, uh, I'd say, is definitely a, a pretty key component. And you're right. There's a there's a couple of, of aspects to, to culture and to, to me, I think some people try and simplify culture to do you have a ping pong table, you know, at the at the <laughs> office. And to, to me, right. that's a, a pretty lazy way to, to, to think about culture. I think for, for us, you know, one aspect of that culture is is creating a, a culture of, of alignment and accountability where people on the team really understand the, the mission, where we're going and where we're driving to you know, with the business. And if you can feel like on a day-to-day basis, you're contributing to that mission, you're contributing to, you know, the success of the organization, you actually care about the organization, you know, succeeding. I think that's, that's one part of it. I think a second part is, you know, really, we care about the people on our team and we care about, you know, their, their lives and their ability to have, you know, work-life balance. And so, you know, one of the, the things that, that we talk a lot about it at Tilled is this idea of fairness and, and transparency. And I think transparency can, can mean a lot of things to, to a lot of different people. And to me, it's a lens that you apply when you're making key decisions uh, in the business. And that's both you know externally thinking about pricing and how we structure our contracts, but it's also internally. You know, what how can we be you know more transparent across the organization? My calendar is public. Uh, and so yeah. you know, anyone across the organization can see. Caleb's at the dentist or Caleb's at the golf course, or I'm picking up my kids, you know, from school. And so I'm not, I'm not hiding, you know, what I'm, what I'm doing, um, you know, in my day to day, but it's also focusing on some of the policies across the organization. We do, you know, half day Fridays, which, you know, you and I have, have talked about, which I think is a phenomenal benefit, uh, you know, for, for our, our team that puts in a ton of hours <laughs> to, to yeah. be tilled successful. We've got, uh, great PTO policies. We've got great, you know, parental leave policies, and so we we really try and be mindful about the the culture that we're creating uh, at Tilled. And I think that intentional focus uh, on the the culture is, is something that I I think the team uh, feels, but certainly the the retention rates, uh, you know, would would show that they that they seem to. And you talked about this a little bit, but what does work life balance mean at a startup? Right, because I think there's a lot of debate on how hard you have to work, what you have to sacrifice, and you probably feel that the most as a founder. You feel you probably feel like you have to always be working because you sometimes see it on social media. But one, you know, what does that mean for you, and what does it mean for the rest of your team? 
Sure. I think work-life balance in, in general is, it, it's a tough concept. Uh, it, yeah. it implies that, that you have to kind of sacrifice one or, or the other. And I, I think for, for me, I know what I need to do within the business. I know, you know, what I need to, to accomplish. And for me, I don't believe that working, you know, 80, 90, a hundred hours is the best way to actually achieve uh, those, those objectives. I think for, for me, it's looking at what do I need to, to accomplish within the business, but also what's important to me at home. Uh, and the reality is what you, de- what you define as, as important within your life is how you're going to, to set up your calendar. It's how you're going to, to spend your time. And so for, for me, it's basically saying, what are the things that are really important for me within my home life? I want to drop my kids off at school every day. I, if they have, you know, a, a ballet uh, recital, I want to, to get to that. And so I prioritize those things within my life. And the, the kind of practical reality of being a founder is almost all of the rest of that time goes into work. And so it's like whatever yeah. time I don't allocate towards my family gets sucked up for work. But if you don't intentionally set aside that time and draw the boundary and create that division of, hey, here is something that's non-negotiable. I'm going to spend this time at home. I think it's really easy to slip into the pattern of all of that uh, time going towards work. And that's when you feel that you're out of balance because you're not creating that priority uh, and that boundary within your, your personal life. Yeah. And I think you use the word intentionality, right? I think that's, that seems like the key, right? To actually maintain that balance is being so intentional of the things that matter most to you on, e- on either side of the spectrum. Um, for your role, you're, you're the CEO. You only, we're talking about balance, time management. Where are you putting most of your focus right now? Uh, where are you spending your hours? What, what, what's driving the highest ROI now for you as the CEO? Yeah, I think for for me, when I look at you know how I, I spend my time uh, on a, on a week to be week to week basis, content is actually a, a big part of um, you know what I think is some of the highest ROI use of, of my time. I'm I'm on a on a podcast you know with you today. I'll be right. posting on LinkedIn you know later today, and so I think for for me, I've seen that me spending whatever, 30 minutes, an hour a day thinking about content has actually driven a, a significant amount of the, the success uh, within the, the business. Fundraising uh, sucks up a ton of, of bandwidth uh, for me, as I imagine it does for a lot of founders, especially in the, in the current uh, environment. And so for, for me, even when we're not actively fundraising, I'm building relationships with investors to make it easier to raise you know, that, that next round of funding. And so for yeah, me, it's, it's not something that I look at as like a, Hey, I'm fundraising. I'm going to go talk to people for, you know, 90 days and then not talk to them for, you know, nine months. I don't, I don't think that's actually a very good way to go about yeah, you know, building relationships. A, a fundraising right. process. And so to me, that's just a constant, that is a constant part of my calendar on a weekly basis that I'm out there, uh, you know, speaking with current investors, potential future investors and building uh, those relationships. And then, you know, internally, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the the team dynamics. I, I, I feel like for for me in the in the position uh, that that I sit in, I'm I'm fortunate that I have an amazing leadership team uh, that I get the the opportunity to to work with. You know, day in and and day out. And so for me, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the dynamics across the team and how can I unblock those leaders and how can I empower those leaders to, to be more successful, uh, you know, within their, their functional areas, because especially as the organization grows, you know, we're, we're almost 70 people uh, at, at this point, 
it's not practical for me to, to be in the weeds and, and kind of solving <laughs> the, the kind of individual, right. you know, day-to-day -day yeah. problems. It's, it's more about finding the right people and empowering them um, to, to grow their teams and to, to, to be successful, but create that clear, you know, accountability and alignment across the, the leadership team and then, and then let them get after it. Yeah, I think Keith Raboy from Founders Fund called it, you know, he's like, I'm the task, the CEO or the CEO, whoever it is at that time, like the task rabbit for the rest of the leadership team at times, right? Just trying to block everything that's in their way so they can go do what they're best at. It's like, whatever you need, like, let me just go take care of that real quick so you can be the best at it and just like constantly doing that. Um, but for you, like you obviously have, you know, you've got to be spending your time really wisely too. Are there certain kind of productivity hacks you found or certain ways you do things to make sure you're being most productive with your week? Um, I'd say uh, I'd be lying if the most important thing I, I don't mention is the fact that I have an incredible executive assistant. Uh, so yeah. uh, Stephanie is really one of the, the keys to, to me being able to actually do uh, what I do. Um, she, she's been with us for, for over a year at, at this point, and I, I cannot understate uh, the, the value that, that she brings to, to me on a day-to-day on -day basis for, for me to really be able to focus on the, the most important things that, that only I can do uh, within the, the business. So that's, that's probably a uh, productivity hack, uh, number one. I think num number two, really thinking critically about the recurring meetings uh, that I have on, on my calendar. I think for, for any one of us, if you actually take a really hard look uh, at your calendar, there are meetings that either don't drive any value whatsoever for anyone right. or you shouldn't yeah. be in that meeting. Uh, and so I think for, for me, I'm constantly reevaluating, especially those recurring meetings uh, that I have uh, on my calendar to say, you know, is this meeting in general necessary? And if it is, do I actually need to be in attendance um, at that meeting? And so I think between, between Stephanie and eliminating uh, those recurring uh, calendar invites, I, I free up uh, as much time as I can to then be filled later uh, by other meetings. Yeah, and definitely important probably to do a calendar audit every once in a while, right? Where you go back and look and like, absolutely yeah, where did I waste so much time. Um, you know, through this journey, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of good advice, you know, through investors, mentors. Is there a piece of advice that's really stuck with you as like that was really helpful at that given time and has been the most meaningful? Um, so best advice that, that I've gotten, I, I think we, we've talked about it a, a, a little bit uh, throughout the, the podcast today, but just the, the importance of, of building a, a personal brand. When I was first starting uh, the, my journey on, on LinkedIn, I was watching what uh, some of the other founders that were seeing success on the platform. And one of the concepts that they consistently talked about was this idea of a personal brand and the fact that you know, the, the CEO or the founder of the business can really have an, an outsized impact on the, the ability to market uh, for the, the business. And, you know, one, it's incredibly effective for the company. I talked earlier, 45% of our lead flow at Tilled, you know, uh, comes in through, through my personal LinkedIn, but that's also an asset that I'll have after yeah. Tilled. And so, you know, right. whatever business I, I build next, uh, I'm not starting from scratch. You know, when I, when I started really actively posting on LinkedIn uh, around the start of the, the pandemic, I only had about 500 followers on, on LinkedIn. You don't have a, a very uh, big megaphone with 500 uh, followers on, on LinkedIn, but at this point, uh, almost 11,000 uh, followers on, on LinkedIn. And so the, the organic reach that, that my content 
uh, gets is, is orders of magnitude larger <laughs> than yeah, it started right. you know, a few years ago, but it takes a long time to, to build up that asset. And so I would highly encourage you know, founders to, to really be conscious and thoughtful about how they can leverage that personal brand, both in their business today, but also look at it as an asset that you take with you throughout your career. That's a really good point beyond the, the company you're working on now. Yep. Um, I don't know if you're a big reader or not, but I love to hear favorite books or the ones that have helped you most on the journey. Do, do, you, have, do you have a particular one that you'd call out? I do. Yeah. I think for, for me, uh, Peter Thiel zero to one is, is a yeah, book, a book. That, that I think uh, a lot about, uh, in, in my day to day and just the, the idea that to, to build, uh, something truly successful, you have to, to go from zero to one. You have to create something that, that hasn't, um, you know, been created before. I think there's a, a quote that he has that's something along the lines of like, every business, uh, is successful exactly to the extent that they can create something that hasn't been done. Uh, before I may be paraphrasing, uh, you know, slightly there, but it's the idea that you yeah. have to build something new. You have to build, uh, you know, something different to truly create, you know, a, a game changing business. And I think that that concept is something that is a challenge to actually achieve <laughs> in real life, yeah. but it's a, it's a, it's a pretty good goal, uh, and a pretty good, pretty good bar to, to try and measure yourself against. And I'm also a big quote person. Do you have a favorite quote? Or was it similar to what P Peter Thiel just said? I, I feel like that's that's a quote that that really resonates uh, with me, and so yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you with with that with that quote. It's perfect. Um, you know, to, to end us, any parting advice uh, as, as we wrap up for other founders, CEOs, and obviously, I think the social media one is a really important one that maybe some people take for granted. But is there any other advice you'd say you'd really give? Other founders and CEOs? I'd say don't sleep on culture. I think the, the yeah. culture that you create within the, the business, uh, it, it's oftentimes hard to, to measure uh, on a, on a P&L, but if you can create that, that healthy culture uh, within the, the business, I think you'd be surprised at, at how effective uh, the organization uh, can, can really be. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly you've done a really good job of building your culture and, and it's, incredibly important right as the team grows you can't be everywhere right and so you get that culture right in the beginning hopefully it just continues to build on that as you go beyond 70 people yeah i think you're going to quadruple uh, again and and we we very well may uh, i certainly hope yeah. that that we do the question is kind of in what in what time frame i think one of the things that that i've talked about before is the idea that every new person that that you bring on to the team changes the culture of the organization. Yeah. And so if you can set up your, your leadership team uh, with people that uh, embody the, the culture that, that you're trying to set within the organization, then they're uh, at least more likely to, to bring, you know, others onto to the team that, that foster that, that same uh, culture as, as the organization grows. As well said, Caleb, really appreciate you uh, being on the executive and really excited to see where Tilt goes and I'll be following on LinkedIn. Yeah, I appreciate it, Matt. Thanks for having me on today. And uh, if anybody wants to follow us, LinkedIn is a, a great place to do that or check us out at, at till.com, T-I-L-L-E-D.com. Thanks, Matt. Awesome. Thanks, Caleb.